My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today I am joined again by artist, writer, printmaker, podcaster, content dealer, uh, unofficial co-host of the Break the Rule stream, uh, Gonzo philosopher, postmodern writist, and Jungian futurist, Gio <laughs> Penichetti. Welcome yes, back. Hello. Help Putler. Help Putler. Oh, shit. Oh, you <laughs> cut that one out. Uh oh, uh oh, we're we're going away. <laughs> Don't say something like that. Oh man! Well, okay, my love starts every stream with Slava Ukraina, so I'm. Oh really? Slava okay. Z, Slava. No, no, cut it out, cut it out. I do not, I do not endorse. I do not endorse. Um, because oh. to be honest, this has been like the the subject that I got the most insane pushback on, and the most <laughs> insane people like hunting me and trying to like. There's this one guy who kept respawning in different guises. Uh, and then it was just posting stuff about oh, me being a, a Putin shill under every post that either referenced me or that I made for like a week or something. Whoa. It was uh, a bit, uh, <laughs> bit strange. That's I think the he, new, because that's the new cancelable thing. That's probably what yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm, I did not align sufficiently with yeah. the current thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not for Russia. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I really don't think I can have a very uh, serious opinion about what's going on with. Well, I don't uh, know. I mean, Ceausescu uh, redacted how many of your own people, Alex? I, I don't. Can you yeah. be pro? <laughs> can you? What does pro Russia no. mean in your context? What is that? Yeah, <laughs> you you really can't be pro Russia. I mean, just living around here, you know, you're we're kind of wedged between empires. Uh, you know, Western yeah. empires have always been a bit nicer to us. Uh, we've just been cannon fodder, and you know, just like. I don't know, uh, genocide meat for, for the Russian <laughs> faction. So yeah, it's, it's not oh. been fun. No one really likes the Russians, um, you know, and, and that's why I can also say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person guys. I'm just, I'm just oh, asking questions man. here. <laughs> that That's yeah. the, 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 the current thing. I mean, I, I think, okay. My honest take is that as time goes on, of course, the natural contrarian impulse is to be like, you know, because of the sort of the new current thing, which I think is absolutely disgusting and abominable, the way that the sort of media apparatus, this, uh, what would you say, the spectacle machine has trivialized the very real um, damage in lives and in geopolitics. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, in Eastern Europe, that like go literally for centuries, this is been going on not just with russia but also all of eastern europe i mean former yugoslavia say no more right i mean romania has yeah. been in between empires for how many centuries right like whether it was the ottomans since, or the since the romans yeah yeah, yeah. So the romans the mongols you know like yeah so i i think it, it's very interesting how now that it's it's very it's very um indicative i think of the sort of pervasive western colonialism or I would say neo-colonialism in terms of culture, because now that we have to, um, 
and this isn't my observation, this is people saying that the same sort of, let's say, American Floydist Floydism narrative, mm-hmm. now that is a very easy template to place upon the rest of the world in terms of any contested geopolitical issue. And and you start to see the memes and you start to see and so I think this is what people were saying with um the quote unquote marvelification of like Zelensky and and you know the Ukrainians and it's it's sort of um it, whereas the Russian side has almost been completely absent by design. I mean people have been banned and so forth and news organizations redacted and it, I but of course like you know not not to say I fully support whatever what the Russians are doing here but I think that it is very interesting how our approach to very complex geopolitical issues in some ways is filtered through the same sort of uh, simulacra spectacle machine that everything else is, even though people are actually like really dying on the ground and people are having their lives disturbed forever. And who knows how long this, if it will culminate in sort of like a North Korean situation or if the Russians actually do win and they conquer the whole territory and they break up Ukraine and, and so forth. I mean, I I personally don't see any logical way that the Ukrainians outside of NATO intervention can like truly repel, repel the Russians. I don't, because you can't, the thing is you can't even believe the numbers that are being floated around because the Russians will have their propaganda, you know, no, oh, we've lost nothing. But then you have like the whole they lost 40,000 troops in the span of two weeks. And it's like, you know what I mean? So I think like, it's very callous for like Western observers to make like, to import their geopolitical, their own like domestic politics into like a very complex geopolitical situation. Because of course, like if you actually take Putler's word for it, if you like watch that speech he gave, what was it called? Empire of lies. There is like quite a huge contrast between the way that people think of things in Eastern Europe and the way that their history affects them and the sort of like historyless, total, like, I wouldn't even say postmodern, but let's say the sort of like rootless neoliberal Washington machine going up there with Biden, who's like, as we know, half whatever out of it, saying like, well, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And it's like very um, simplistic. But that being said, I mean, yeah, I think that people are making this observation. I know people have written about this in I am seventeen seventy six and elsewhere that like the real is sort of coming back, and it's like the virtual, the hyper real. That is sort of like the layer upon the real, and the real is like an actual like you know Russian military intervention, blah blah blah. But I don't, I don't know. I think that uh, <laughs> I mean, is the real coming back or not? That's that's. Um, yeah, I'm I'm rambling right now. I'm rambling. I'm trying I'm trying to kayfabe my own uh position if you will, but like you know, I mean it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's obvious because like to quote Anatoly, what's his last name? Carlin? Carlin. Carlin. Carlin, yeah. He said like by the fact that you are like a quote-unquote dissident, you are pretty much on the side of 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 the Kremlin. Or rather, it becomes a very easy sticking point. To where it's like, you know, you're a Kremlin shell. I am a Kremlin shell. Um, Coach yeah. Redpill, by the way, I hope he's safe. At the time of recording, we don't know where he is. But I hope Coach Redpill is safe. Um, I know people who know him. And I think that, well, it's it's a terrible situation. But no, I think that uh, by the virtue of the fact that you are a dissident in the quote-unquote West, then it's like, 
Yeah, but but I think also it's, it's sort of like the appeal of uh, certain figures and certain like uh, Eurasianist ideals. Uh, I think that that's another topic that we could cover because I'm I'm while you go ahead, you go ahead. I'm just rambling right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's a it's it's the topic du jour, um, and yeah. there's definitely a, a kind of a forced context collapse that we all have to participate in, where you know. The, the side of good is the side of, you know, of, of absolute good and the side of evil is the mm-hmm. side of absolute evil. Um, and, and, you know, they're embroiled in this cosmic battle. And if you don't show allegiance to the cosmic battle, then, you know, you must be siding with the bad. And I guess, you know, like you said, kind of by default, we have to side with the bad just because we will not side with, you know, show allegiance, vis- visible allegiance with absolute good <laughs> as it's been presented yeah. because we don't believe in the people presenting it. Um, my fear with this whole thing is that, you know, be- because of this context collapse is I don't want to, you know, go the route of, of Richard Spencer and just, you know, wear the the SS uniform and say, yeah, we are the baddies. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing. Because I feel like that's this is also kind of one of those situations because, you know, there's obviously been Russian aggression. There's a lot of suffering in Ukraine, which I don't want to underplay. You know, there's literal mm-hmm. people, you know, losing their homes, you know, being being displaced. It's 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 a messed up situation. And I, I feel for these people. What I don't believe is that, you know, some insane, you know, uh, Hitler type character woke up one morning and decided For on no a whim to at all. no reason yeah. at all, you know, to yeah. just go out and, you know, murder Ukrainian babies. Um, yeah, that's throwing not... them out of the incubators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's... Throwing them out of yeah. incubators, using chemical weapons. Oh, what's well, funny? Whichever... You mentioned, you mentioned the, the Big Spence because Big Spence has been the most, uh, Pro, um, yeah, yeah, indeed. Which I mean, okay. Here's the thing. I I believe someone more like um, I I know this is gonna be like gossip, but like um, there there is a certain faction of the online right who say that the Ukrainians are the actual base nationalists because that's cer- the certain few groups and the certain few paramilitary organizations in Ukraine they wear they wear that certain symbol of the certain sun, but um, yeah. I, I think that uh, someone like, for example, Greg Johnson, I believe, I, to me, he comes off as more sincere because he has been very pro-Ukrainian for many years, since 2008 at least, in countercurrents. But someone like, you know, Richard Spencer, when they temporarily banned um, Russians with attitude, being like, finally, the traitors are silenced. It's mm. I, I think that in, it is very interesting how there is a certain undercurrent to certain ideas of the right wing like the pan-european stuff for instance which in an actual european context is kind of ridiculous but i think that there is a certain strain which can lead almost like it can become a very like um reverse polarity of like the prevailing sort of like nato eu liberal order um and it's it's almost like what me and mary harrington were talking about once where you end up with very like strange conglomerations of ideas that manifest into like their opposite. For example, the, what I call the Paul to R9K uh, pipeline where she was talking about, she got like brutally ratioed for this take one time. This was a year ago where she talked about, um, about how like a certain, you know, that certain subset of people, in the uh, in the uh, the uh, the gender ideology how a lot mm-hmm. of them started off as like very far right people some of them actually but then they end up 
becoming uh the certain the certain spectrum of the certain typology if you know i'm trying to use code words for youtube purposes but they and i, I was explaining to her how on in chan culture how um the ideas of paul politically incorrect which we all know is like the meme you know paul nazi paul cell blah 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 but um how that those ideas can manifest into like a very like extreme form of misogyny mm-hmm. now you have r9k which is people don't know the r9k was called the robot board the containment board it's basically it was uh designed for the the, the green text threats which people know famously mm-hmm. are like the feels threats right like they but what happened over time is that r9k became this containment board for like the neat, the incel, um, the the sort of let's say gender ambiguous, um, they, mm-hmm. the trap, quote unquote. So you have this like weird colonization of Paul thinking, especially in terms of gender relations. Mm-hmm. Then you have this fact where it's like what, and Mary was talking about this as well, where it's like I can't become the girlfriend I want. The, the the trad waifu weed field girl so i we're sorry i can't have that so i become that if you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. and they have it so it's like this this like um with a certain element of that certain spectrum or typology if you will mm-hmm. by by that certain thinker <clears throat> blanchard um <laughs> then mm-hmm. when you have this sort of like mix of like right-wing misogyny plus like having a sort of um very like uh divorced picture of your own masculinity and then you also have this environment of like or rather i should say this crab bucket of extreme emotivism you (laughs) you end up with like a very different picture of the like uh you know let's say internet trans person Mm -hmm. than you would normally and of course she was brutally ratioed by the people with picker avies and the flags and the bios and so forth but no i think it's we live in strange times and so when you i think figures like richard spencer i mean uh that is just one example of where certain wires get crossed and uh you can end up through very like marginalized politics you can end up defending certain things that are quite interesting like i mean the fact that he's gone full bore on the the nato ukrainian thing it's like i i mean of course the other explanation is that while we all not to get in not to accuse people of anything but you know i think we live in interesting times there is certainly a section of the right who is very pro-ukrainian or rather very pro a certain interpretation of the ukrainian cause but um when it comes to the russian thing i think that and this is my last point because i'm just rambling right now i think that um I was talking about this actually, ironically enough, on Break the Rules with Jonathan Kay, of all people, uh, who is, for people who don't know, Jonathan Kay is a, uh, well, he's like a quiet person now, but I grew up with him uh, because he's Canadian. He's a Canadian journalist, like, you know, hardcore Zionist, hardcore, like, centrist lib. Yeah, his mom is a journalist as well, isn't she? Oh, you're thinking of David Frum. No, no, I think I think his his. I think Jonathan K. He works for Quillette, no? Yes, yes. I think his mom's like a, a big name journalist as well. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm mistaken. Oh, but I hope you're not confusing with Barbara K. Because they don't have no relation to each other. No. But... Oh, okay. 
Doesn't yeah, matter. yeah, I know people get confused <laughs> all the time with that. Because like, see, I grew up like reading the National Post because of my old man. So this is like um, inborn Canadian stuff, right? And and Jonathan Kay was like the token lib at the National Post. But now mm. over time, he's taken on some very, very <laughs> quote unquote based positions. But mm-hmm. we were talking about this in terms of um, what is the appeal of something like Eurasianism on the online right in particular. And he was like, well, it's because if you are someone in the political left of things in the sort of the current neoliberal order, then you are given a number of, um, how did he put it? You're given a, a number of identity frameworks that are sort of like palliatives, if you will, for your own alienation. So you're given either, like if you're if you're lucky enough, if you're blessed enough in Canada, to be a certain percentage of indigenous person, then you were given a sort of easy template to consume of what he said, what did he call it? Like a certain indigeneity, right? Um, or you're given, of course, like the trans thing is, well, especially in certain sectors of the economy, it's uh, quite quite interesting how the way that it's thought about is like, especially if you're alienated from your own masculinity, then it's a very easy sort of consumable good that can come about to fulfill certain needs or, you know, the feminist thing, uh, the, the black lives matter, let's call it Floydism. Floydism. That's a good term for it. Um, but if you were in the political, right, you were given nothing, nothing, nothing. You deserve it. Actually, you deserve your own alienation. And, um, you aren't, there, there are templates that were created in house, right? But they are, of course are subject to, policing, uh, negative normalization, surveillance, biopower. So the incel thing, the right-wing bodybuilder, the homesteader, um, you go down the list, right? Like, you know, extreme racist, uh, anime person, like, you know, (laughs) but, but those things are just, they're, they're self-created. They don't have the support. There is not going to be, maybe in the future, who knows, there will be like, uh, like back in the day, uh, back in the early 2000s, you know, they had the oxygen bars. Do you remember this? No, you know, no. the oxygen bar. Oh, come on. You're tech person. Oh, no, back- oh, no, no. The oxygen bars yeah. like where you would go and, and have oxygen from. Yes. A- yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I thought it was like a candy bar. I was like, no. No, no. <laughs> no, no yeah, yeah. Forms yeah. Bars with drugs Very retarded. Them, but- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the tech people loved it. My, I had a professor, actually. He was like uh, my mentor. And he was my supervisor, my MA supervisor. And uh, he uh, used to go every morning before a lecture. <laughs> he, he was like, oh, yeah, be, you're juiced up. We had a lecture on uh, the Fido or, you know, we had a lecture on um, on Derrida. He's like, you know, you go. So I think in the future, who knows, there will be uh, ball tan, sun uh, test. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there will be a junk tanning salons in the future where you do the pose and you have like the handlebars to do the pose. and. Maybe, yeah, maybe there'll be something, but for now, <laughs> but uh, for now, anyways, I think that the, the identities, the, the identity templates you're offered at most is like the Jordan Peterson, not even that, not even that's cast with suspicion, but like, you know, the Jordan Peterson, clean up your room, self-improvement, you know, eat steak. Yeah, like the signifiers of like like the Reddit like having like beard grease and bacon like that that I think is probably like the template right. But you're given very few options, and so then we were talking about how um, 
and he knew like right away I was actually shocked because this is a lib, right? You know, <laughs> he's not actually like a, a, a lib in like the pejorative, you know, yeah. he's like, well, the Russian thing is interesting because now you have this sort of um, exporting of Eastern European politics and ideas that, you know, and people don't know this, but this is, you know, not just, can we say his name, Alexander Dugan? Um, not, not just Dugan, but there's a tradition in Russia of the cosmicists and so forth, right? Um, but I think that Dugan and the new nouveau droit in France, they they become now this sort of um, exo or outsider politics for North American, in particular, right wing people, because they offer a template where. You can embrace a sort of level of ethno nationalism, but not too explicitly. Like that's Dugan's thing, right? Like a lot of people yeah. in the political right who are like hardcore white he's nationalists. Not, they, he's not racist. I think that's what no. people really don't think so about Dugan. He's like, what the yeah. hell, man? <laughs> but then, of course, I mean, if if you are someone who is of a certain persuasion politically on the right, like you know, you get accused of being a Dugan shell, right? Like Keith Woods is an Islamo Dugan. <laughs> My friend Joel Davis, I I am an Islamo. This is why. Look, my fez is not just to cover up my Norwood hair, but it's also a symbol of my Islamo Duganism. <laughs> no, but I I think that um the template that's offered from there is like you can escape the white nationalist politics of of America, which is not a very good past. Let's put it to put it mildly, right? Yeah, but also you can sort of embrace um a position of like being a person on the right who doesn't like capitalism because in, again in North America the sort of suffocating political terms around economics in particular I think that is another reason why people embr- like you know they go on the read uh Evola or Serrano or Dugan it's like there is a sort of romanticism of embracing thinkers even like in where you're from in Romania it's like if you're a hardcore trad, you're going to read Marcia Eliad, which I have all of his books. If you're a hardcore, you know, nihilist that wants to escape the Reddit nihilism of, uh, you know, Banatar and, and, and Harari. What's the guy's name? Yves Noah uh, Harari. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, let's face it, it's just nihilism at the end of the day with extra steps. Um, <laughs> um, if you want to escape that, you read the real romanticism of Ciaran, which I also have every Ciaran book. Oh, um, good. <laughs> because, you know, that that's the thing. He, he, yeah, there's a sort of like, uh, I would say, uh, there's a term that nobody TM came up with, the famous visual artist that I was affiliated with for many years. Um, psychic goring, psychic goring, where you sort of, you desensitize yourself on a um, psychic and intellectual and spiritual level to open yourself up to thinkers that are very much outside of the box. But then the problem I think is that that becomes another sort of shelling point for a consumer identity, because now it's like, you know, the, the, the legions of Redditors that read <laughs> Noah Harari, as opposed to like the small minority that read uh, Miguel Serrano or Julius Evola. Or, well, even Evola's passe now. Now it's whoever, right? It's a, uh, it's uh it's Burnham and uh, Hall or whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think that the unfortunately, it's just 
the nature of the way that these identities are constructed and the way that the internet has um, enabled a certain direction of discourse itself on a very meta level that unfortunately opens itself up to creating what our good friend Catherine D would call the fandom aspect of current reality and identity. So that's, that's a lot. I've, I've spurred out long enough, Alex. What do you think? <laughs> no, <that? laughs> I think, I think it's uh, I think it's very correct. And I think the, you know, the, the concept of fandoms is, is, is quite strangely invading every space. I mean, I, I can kind of even see it in, you know, just interacting with my mom. I can see her, you know, being, you know, just fangirling over all sorts of concepts that that float in, you know, she's like someone who's born in the sixties and like, you know, communist Romania and still oh, all this stuff go. is, you know, um, yeah. but you know, the thing that I wanted to chat to you most about, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit is, uh, is this article that you wrote recently uh, after a, a minor, I think period of maybe touching grass or, you know, just being yeah, a little yeah, bit more. I was, I was for two weeks after I was accused of vicious blackpilling by people so i decided to take the first time i ever took one in like years um the twi a twitter break just a temporary sort of um you know yeah and you yeah. came back with, with refreshed uh energies and then you know vitalism and you wrote this this epic uh, article and kind of declaring your intention to become the chronicler of of the movement of uh la cosa nostra <laughs> of, of this thing of ours as our exactly. good friend thomas <laughs> seven 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 would say wow you're putting a lot of uh weight on my shoulders i'm starting to think that, like, <laughs> no, no, I, no, that's I, the thing i'm worried that i'm gonna like screw up in some ways that i'm not gonna you like, will but that's fine yeah. you know it's it's an attempt at yeah. something and you're one of the one of the people who's been around for for longer than most i mean i've, I've you know mm. been in the space for maybe a year and a bit uh you know most people maybe a few years you you've kind of seen you know you've been producing content immersing yourself in these uh, in these ideas with these people for a long time and you've almost seen 10 years change. yeah this 2014 yeah. actually yeah oh man yeah well yeah. <laughs> you are a a veteran you know Five times over. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest of old F slayers. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's the thing. I, I was on the internet as well, you know, back then, but in a very um, much more minor capacity. I was just posting pictures of myself being extremely covered in self-tanner uh, in college. And, and it was just, I think I read some of those old vice articles. <laughs> oh Lord. No. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were yeah. really bad. I mean, they were essentially, you know, they were, they were written to, uh, to a certain recipe. You actually get the Gonzo book given once you, once they induct you into vice, you have to read Gonzo, uh, the, oh, the Huntress, really? Huntress Thompson book. Wow. Yeah, but then they make you write listicles. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was different oh. when they started, you know, under Gavin McInnes, under the the, the, Gavin, the tutelage of, of St. Gavin. Yeah, um, it was just Gavin, Shane, and that other guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, the the uh, South Asian man. Yes. I don't, I don't know his subcon, name. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, yeah. So where was I? <laughs> yeah. Well, you said your just mother cringing over over yeah. my time oh, advice. Man. <laughs> Some of those photos were good though, I gotta say. They were good. Oh yeah. The the hat the... one. That was great. I love that. <laughs> that was really, see, people accuse you of um thirst trapping or whatever because you uh that you, your your photo catfishing. doesn't catfishing. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't take as many glamorous shots as I should. And I don't update much because mm. the reality is, uh, I used to look better before I had a baby and I I'm mean, not, <laughs> so, um, I mean, sorry friends. On, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think that women who've had children, they have a different type of beauty to them. Not like, Thank you know you. what I mean? Like the, <laughs> the beauty of youth, I hate to say it, especially for women is fleeting. Right. But oh, I yeah. think oh, yeah. it's funny because me and my my good friend Matthew, we actually uh, we recorded our podcast style talks where we mostly talk about art aesthetics, and <laughs> we were talking about the Elon Musk thing, and it got onto the topic of uh, the beautiful boy archetype, and how uh, Camille Paglia talks about the beautiful boy and how there's sort of like a, a dark romanticism to it. But when the beautiful boy grows up, then it's sort of like that charming sadism if you will that sort of fades and i feel like um when you grow up as someone who definitely is not a beautiful boy um who's you know <laughs> uh i think that it's quite interesting um like the, the sort of male perception of uh beauty right in in, in, a, in a male sense as opposed to like the woman because i feel that like it is true that a woman can reflect a certain amount of beauty uh, at different stages of life, but it seems that women are only given one particular picture of like what beauty means. And so it leads to a lot of different, I would say, um, schizophrenic contradictions because the beauty of a mother, maybe it doesn't have like the immediate sex appeal of a, you know, woman in her twenties or whatever that, uh, but at the same time, I feel that there is, there is a different form, but it's just that, you know, I don't know. The, the discourse around it is kind of like, yeah, I, I, I understand it, but yeah, but it's, it, it's yeah. contextual. You know, the the yeah. thing is, um, you know, but humans like, you're, are you're roasty. You hit the wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, humans are relational people, and if yeah. you really just think about, you know, the the dating marketplace, you know who's you know who's at a who's mid who's like a five yeah. who's a oh, ten who, who yeah, can get with thing. whom you know like women yeah. only want the top one percent and if you're in that like spreadsheet mindset then yeah of course i'm a 5.7 on a tuesday and maybe i, I i'm a six on a, on a wednesday and depends <laughs> really what lighting hard. i get and stuff like that like yeah i mean yeah. within that framework yeah i i depending understand. on how much or less the baby's crying and maybe i'll reach a six right that week yeah it's it's um, you know i I I also can, I've been on, I've been on the internet enough and in these space enough to now you know not not take it that personally but um, <laughs> no you can't you can't it's involved no but it's it's like I it's, mean yeah. yeah it's it is it is the 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 currency of the realm but at the same time you know there is um the thing that kind of you know again I come back to my shtick with liberalism the thing that kind of was stolen from us I mean call it liberalism call it essentially emergent from the technology that enabled us to get to this point uh, but it is kind of the reduction to, to this type of relationality where, you know, mm. what can I do with my body? What, what resources can I access with my body that are non-relational? Like right. that, you know, you know, what can I get from a guy on in one night, you know, and that is yeah. maximized when I'm a perfect 10 and that's, you know, I'm my capital. That is my capital. My youth is my capital. How much attention I can get online. I can make money through that. <laughs> so everything's kind of, yeah. you know, reduced to that. But now, you know, we don't really have a concept for like, what is the beauty of a mother? A mother might look really shitty from a, you know, one to 10 scale. Well, complex, it but I, Well, it depends. Actually, there is a huge market for a, 
fetishizing oh, yeah, true, sexually indeed, the mother, yeah. <laughs> there's, right? there's a different, that's a different thing. I'm sure yeah. there's, there's, you know, there's parallel sub-markets that I could, yeah, you could be yeah. like Liz Brunig and uh, post, uh, you know, certain photo, um, Oh God, no, that, by, no. By the way, you know, like Amy was 100% right. You know what the hell she was doing with that one. You know, we all know the very like frustrated condition of the average DNC male feminist. I mean, well, you know, which is kind of funny though. I think like, like Liz Brunig is like fascinating in the sense, well, she's not fascinating in terms of writer in my opinion, but like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Mm, I'm sorry. Um, But she's fat. No, I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I haven't read as much as I probably as most people probably have because she's been around for a while. Uh, but you know, she's, she's I fascinating. love her <laughs> go, cookies, go, go. <laughs> and there's yeah. I don't know. She's always been nice to me. To be honest, I've never no, had know, a, a conflict yeah. with her. It's know. just a meme. I feel like a lot of people, like especially I remember like back back in the day, used to uh, (laughs) post like the bodybuilders, like Liz, what think of this, you know? Uh, But I I think it is, it's fascinating like how you have, like in some ways, like this is the absolute gutter subversion of like left Catholicism in the sense that you have like this weird interjection of what traditionally has been like, you know, the realm of like uh, the political right, which is like, you know, maternity, motherhood, um, the sort of, uh, perspective of fertility but yet injected into like progressive left politics which very much nowadays is like antinatalist and the exact opposite of fertility i mean and uh, i think like someone who is very much on the outside of like a lot of what people talk about (laughs) for obvious reasons i'm on the outside of like what these like sort of like dating discourse and like sexual market like even the term sexual marketplace is like an instrumentalization and economization of like human relations, which people like the, the sort of one re- response is like, yes, like that's the brutal reality that you have to face, man. Cause that's the way it is with hypergamy, which there is a lot to that. But the other side is like, are we willing to reduce ourselves down to the position of the libidinal economy where everything is like, instead of an exchange for money, although of course there's a lot of that as well, as we know, yeah. um, it's the sort of like weird libidinal exchange and sort of like the affirmation of the, 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 um, Freud would call like the sexual organism, right? <laughs> like there is. Yeah. To me, this yeah. feels just like the, the arguments, you know, like, uh, you know, f- for rape, like, you know, rape is, you know, oh, God. Rape, oh. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's incredibly common in nature it's incredibly common in our history and the fact that it's extremely you know natural like the fact that you know there some girls hit puberty at 11 and you know maybe we should they should get married and stuff like that okay but maybe there is a certain um there is a certain role that culture can play in this and i think it has the same type of mediating effect on um you know the 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 rampant hypergamy and the rampant you know um quest for a younger model or whatever you want to see that you know the 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 male equivalent could be um yeah it's uh, yeah what is the the male equivalent is is weird because if you're going by mainstream culture then the beautiful boy is definitely um a very powerful one but if you're going by like i guess what would you call it dissident culture like the right-wing bodybuilder is like the ideal like the Giga Chad. Yeah, but he's a, a feels to me like a very sterile type figure. I mean, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe I haven't. You know, I've I've read Bronze Age mindset. I've kind of been in these spaces for a while, but it feels to me like there's kind of an an endpoint to that. You know, it feels almost a bit too liberal for me. It's like a bit of a kind oh, of a lib- no. adventure oh. fantasy. Oh, you know, it's I like gotta, I gotta it's a bit of a power trip. Right now. I'm gonna get so much for this. But no, no. no. What do you Maybe mean by the, it? Like, I'm I'm just I just mean like it feels a bit like a kind of an you know, kind of like this, I don't know. I, maybe I don't understand. Again, I, I, I'm not, I only read the book once. Maybe I didn't get it. I, I know that there's cri- there's critics. Um, no, you finish your point. No, I'm but I'm just, just thinking, you know, like to me, it feels like obviously there is, it's an acknowledgement of forces that have completely been ignored and suppressed in our culture that, right. you know, need to be acknowledged. But it feels to me like, okay, once you acknowledge those forces, they're not really integrated into, uh, you know, what, what next? And I also feel like this is like, it's kind of, it's not supposed to be an instruction manual. It's just a, right. it's almost kind of a, a conjuring of, of those forces. Well, like and Zarathustra, I, that's what BAPS has. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I understand that, but I feel like, you know, because there is no instruction manual attached to it, it does tend to like, feel like a bit of a kind of a Nietzschean Ubermensch LARP to a point. You can it's graft like, on an instruction yeah, you manual. Can, exactly. I mean. Or a cookbook to some people. That's yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> so I just, I, to admit, because there's no, maybe there shouldn't be a clear way. I mean, the, the thing mm-hmm. with Nietzsche is that, you know, he looked into a abyss so long that, you know, it stared back at him and then he, he died quite insane and, and destroyed by his own, maybe not destroyed, but, you know, uh, kind of, um, consumed to a husk by his realizations. Yeah, um, so yeah. Yeah, maybe that's the conclusion, you know, and maybe you should just go out in a blaze of glory, tanning your balls and, you know, just like be a pirate conqueror, you know, giga chat and, you know, have 1000 babies that you never hear of or none at all or who knows exactly what you're doing. Run shipments in Eastern Europe. Could be, you know. Could be, yeah. I mean, maybe that's, that's the, you know, I'm a woman, you know, I represent the long house. I want babies. I want my, my house. I want to make cinnamon buns, you know, barefoot in my garden. Like, you know, yeah, stuff like that yeah. doesn't really fit with the pirate conqueror vision of the world. Right. So maybe that's why I'm like, Hmm. I, I think like <laughs> the, the archetype, it's very fun. Like, by the way, I'm not accusing anyone of running arms in Eastern Europe, by the way. That's just, it's, okay. I, I was watching Oddly particular. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no one in particular. I, I, it was funny though, because I was watching, um, a lot of documentaries on, uh, well, what happened in Eastern Europe. Um, particularly with certain paramilitary organizations like the white eagles or um like what did the one that archon ran uh the scorpions i think like there's a certain level of again like like the fetishism for eastern european politics is very interesting from a right-wing perspective because it's like you have you hear these stories of like the horrors of sexual terrorism and so forth and you sort of have this uh uh, like, you know, paramilitary groups trooping, trooping around Bosnia. And it's like, you know, there's, there's something, there, there's some sort of like a, a dark affectation to something. And I think that the, in the me- terms of like the mainstream media now, of course, the narrative is that, you know, Putler is basically Slobodan Milosevic, right? Like that's the thing. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of answering your question, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of like, you know, anons on Twitter or wherever on D- Telegram. If you go to Telegram, it's even more of an abyss. Um, that joke about like, you know, especially the, the, 
well, I shouldn't say, I should say no more, but like, you know, it's, it happened recently. <laughs> Apparently my good friend, Zero HP Lovecraft uh, went after this journalist or whatever, this uh, sexual health expert and uh, mm. the, some of the, some of the, dis- yeah, at, I mean, at medical just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some of the, some of the, uh, the, the, the Clintonectomy discourses. I know it's I- ironic, but um, <laughs> there is, there's something about where, because we live in an intensely, I would like kind of feel like, uh, you know, I guess this is just manosphere discourse, right? But like, because we do live in an intensely gynocentric um, political discourse, if you will, and and we're seeing how the way in which women in particular have certain affects and certain ways of expressing themselves and expressing collective uh, group cohesion that are becoming like the political model of very complex issues. The extreme, iron- like, you know, ironic, but still extreme, nevertheless, retort to that is like, you know, let's, you know, female internment camps or whatever. Like, that's, we got to punch the roasties. It's like, so, but that is like an ironic sort of like LARP and like, it's, you shouldn't really take it seriously. At least, well, I, oh, I, I see, I'm saying I stuff the, that'll get me in trouble, but like, the you fact that you never in, know if you can take it seriously is exactly, part of the, that part is of the, the point. Fun, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> That's the point. You never know if you could take it seriously. To be honest, like, I love Zero HP Lovecraft so much that he could just, you know, be shitposting about, about me personally for a month and I would still follow him and I, I'm still a big fan. He's, he's written enough amazing stuff on that website mm. that no one, and I say no one exactly. can compare to, that. You know, the, give the guy some credit. I've, I will never, yeah. but, but <laughs> never I think that, reject him. I think that there is sort of a mental aspect, affectation. Let me, okay, let me answer your question about BAP very earnestly, even if it might get me in trouble, because BAP has always been good to me. And for that, I admire him because of my, uh, you know, Ignatius J. Riley disposition, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't... I'm not I'm not the archetype of the right wing bodybuilder by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think that there 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 is a certain need to um, reject the longhouse thinking, if you will. There is a certain uh, affectation by which modern politics is spread that is very alien to a lot of traditional discourse, and I feel that in the sense that the you have to really to understand, and this is controversial to understand the Bappian disposition. You have to understand modern womanhood in some ways, in the sense that the picture of the gynocratic nature of political and cultural discourse is, in my opinion, a very distorted picture of womanhood as well, right? Like, that's it's a very narrow and specific version of especially the young woman, but 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 see, the young woman is now a subject of colonization by the quote unquote wine mom, you know, used up post wall roasty, right? Whatever, whatever pejorative you want to say. It's like the idea of the young woman. There's this great book. I know it's total theory cell, but my good, good friend, impossible princess, she recommended this. Um, it's called, uh, preliminary materials towards the theory of the young girl where the young girl becomes this archetypal ideal and it becomes the, in, within like, you know, capitalist realism, let's say, it becomes the source of uh, weird power, even though it's initially was sold as a sort of helplessness and feminine powerlessness that is tied to the particular male form of eroticism. And that's 
you know, very problematic, you know, I, you know multiple Susan Sontag essays on that one. But uh, what, what I mean is that the Bappian view of it as a counterpoint to that is the idea of the Hellenistic, beautiful body being a symbol of conquest and but a very fugitive conquest, not the conquest of empires, because as we know, empires descend into the longhouse as well. It is rather the pirate, the 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 expat, the sort of um, you know, I there there's a lot of like very romantic images you can conjure. But I think that the reason there is this tension between a traditionalist understanding that is very pro-natal and very pro-family and very um religious in character and Bappian vitalism is that inevitably there's going to be a conflict there because it's like on the one hand, um, you know, BAP is very ambiguous when it comes to his own religious affinity, right? I mean, there was this tweet the other day that of course, you know, a lot of Christian trads were offended by where he's like, I will impose state Buddhism. We shall get rid of all Semitic religions, except for, you know, the most uh, edgy right-wing, you know, interpretation of Christianity, Jesus as, you know, Christ as son of God. And, uh, you know, the priest class will be over, over toppled and all that stuff. But I, but the thing is like, I know it's edgy and it's like, you know, ironic or whatever, but like, there is something to be said about how, what BAP is saying, at least I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but rather, I think what he's getting at is that the idea of a religious centric form of natalism is in some ways a barrier of overthrowing the condition of modernity because you are tied fundamentally to a self-contained structure, or at least the way it manifests in the modern world, because the family meant something very much. There's a great book actually published by Imperial Imperium Press on this subject there. The ancient family is much different than what we consider as family. Now it's very much a clan structure, but nowadays we, we are forced to, unless you have a community of people that you're willing to live with, you're forced in some ways to, if you want a family, if you want to be pronatal to conforming to a confined atomistic sort of picture of the family. Cause like you, you said this in your podcast as well, like, you know, that when you had a kid, you felt alienated because all your friends, they're still like, you know, London socialites that work in tech and that they, you know what I mean? Like, so you mm. have a different set of priorities. And so I think that's why there's a conflict there because there is a religious, especially Christian based form of natalism. And there is this sort of Bappian vitalism, which preaches a very, very much of a um, life as an anarch, if you will, right? But, but it, which is crazy because Ernst Younger is the ultimate anarch, but yet he had, I think he had like five kids or something like that. I forget how many kids he had, but uh, yeah, it's like I, I think that there's a, you can solve these contradictions, but the problem is we don't live in a time that has a tradition which informs the reconciliation between the man as a source of vitalistic power that is a conqueror and the man of the family. I think that like, th that's why I think they obsess with Liz Brusnig because it's like this weird leftist appropriation of the family, which is kind of crazy. And you have to like basically butcher uh, Catholicism or Protestantism to do that. But anyways, I yeah. hope this, this makes sense, Alex. I don't know if I'm just rambling. No, no, I think, I think, I think that's, that's right. And, you know, I think that's a very, you know, very valid criticism. Um, you kind of have to be a bit 
an anarchic yourself to make this choice just in the sense that, you know, you really are uprooting yourself from from pretty much anything. Uh, and you're kind of going at it alone, literally, because right. most people are far from family. Um, you know, we've we've tried to kind of plug back into family. You know, it's it's complicated, obviously, it comes with its own issues. But I think, you know, I think a lot of people tend to, um, you know, ascribe too much value to theory to philosophy to the mm-hmm. ideas that that you know powered all of this when this is essentially all downstream from essentially affluence and and tech mediated you know just a possibility like the welfare state you know medieval welfare state good luck you know there's just, there's just the excess yeah. has powered all of this stuff we are able to not live in multi-generational homes because that's you know that's a revealed preference as they say in economics people want to live alone people want to be atomized that's the thing yeah until they realize yeah. that it's you know it's a hellish existence but then do, do they have the, the the powers to you know bootstrap themselves back into something functional? Right. Maybe it, that just comes with need, and maybe that's you know we're kind of in the Spenglerian cycle back to need because we're you know fucking everything up again. <laughs> so you know <laughs> maybe that, that, won't be atomized for long. <laughs> maybe that'll be like um, I I think like there's a number of thinking that goes into that. I think that well, Bap would say that. Um, the welfare like he it's funny because bap does have a lot of like american conservative affectations because like he you know grew up like listening to michael savage and stuff like that and i think like he's very harshly critical of the welfare state for all for good reasons because the american and even to extent the canadian welfare state is a total nightmare but like i think that there there is sort of like an idea of communitarian involvement that is very particular to the european mind and what bap would say is um you're not you're not afforded the open space to become your own self right that's the big problem and what they give you instead is a palliative to that they give you sort of like a very easy consumerist identity but when it comes to like welfare politics for instance there is like certain white nationalists who talk about how like okay if we live in a society where people are absolutely being devastated by the opioid crisis where people are sort of losing their jobs for a variety of reasons. Like, you know, the last current thing of the last two years, we all know why. Um, if people are being invaded by like, what does Bab say? The genetic trash of the world. Then, um, <laughs> God, oh, that's oh, terrible. But uh, no, but like, let's face it. The, the, the immigration levels that they want within Europe and North America. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's, basic cloward piven, you know, depress and break all institutions to the point of like being bursting at this, you know, bursting at the seams. Right. So you have all of these pressures on the sort of like European phenotype that they're saying, well, maybe it is true that there has to be some form of like social welfare in order to compensate. Like, for example, I live in a country that the, our basic religious identity is our universal healthcare system. And it's getting, progressively shittier by literally by the month right you know but i do feel that some form of uh at least a public option is something that is in keeping with a lot of different ideas that were born from a lot of different uh, you know very uniquely european ways of doing things yeah yeah i just think you know you can't really go back because you know all of these things the state the market 
the atomization they've developed in tandem and they feed off each other. Exactly. Like for example, yeah. you know, back in the day, uh, you know, a, a lot of the people who are homeless on the street and shooting up fentanyl had a certain support structure. They had family, they had, you know, uncles, aunts, you know, they were in right. a smaller community. They, someone would have, you know, pulled them back from the brink, you know, locked them in the basement for two weeks and, you know, got, got them off the sauce or something like that, uh, would have, you know, at least housed them somewhere or offered them, you know, a kind word or, or t- taken them to church. But that was still within the structure where um, you couldn't really opt out of family because family was your insurance. Family was, you know, where right, everyone got right. food. You were maybe involved in subsistence agriculture as pretty much everyone was for the longest time. Um, the state couldn't have been this big because there wasn't the excess coming off the market and there wasn't the atomization that was fueled by the market by, you know, allowing everyone to have their own house, allowing everyone to have enough of an income uh, to actually fund the pension funds that, you know, give you a safety net. Uh, so all of right. this stuff happened in tandem and now and, and you know urbanization and all that yeah, yeah yeah exactly urbanization i mean in romania a lot of cities were literally formed 50 years ago to fuel you know the yeah. industrialization of communism you know now yeah the soviets came and said well you have to <laughs> you have to be in brutalist apartment blocks now oh yeah exactly yeah just straight from subsistence uh, farming <laughs> straight into the brutalist block yeah but, no but that's the thing i like that's like i know like for example in canada here um we have a unique situation in that if you go outside of the cities, cities, there is like majority um, original like Anglophone and Frank while well, Francophone was confined to like one part of the country, more or less. But there's still that original sort of Anglophone plus the European immigrants that came here in from the post-war period or even the between war period, which, you know, my father's family came from that era. Um, so but in the big cities, you have very unique pressures in terms of like a bunch of boomers that are retiring that are like basically invading where I live. I live in Niagara region, right? So you have like, say you get rid of your apartment in Toronto, you come down here, you buy your McMansion and then you harass all the local vineyard people because you know, their, 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 their equipment is too loud or whatever. Right. Like, uh, but then you also have the reality of like housing is almost impossible for a young person in, in Canada. Um, so, and you also have immense immigration pressure because, of course, we're a post-national country. We have to, like, you know, it's it's part of our strength, right? It's it's our religious obligation, according to Justin Trudeau um, and the Liberal Party as a whole. I'm not talking about him, but the Liberal Party as a whole, and from his father, or rather, I should say, from his stepfather onward. Oh, <laughs> promoting conspiracy theories on this show. <laughs> I know, terrible, right? <laughs> um. But no, I from Pierre onwards, this sort of like state ideology of multiculturalism. I, I wrote a very big piece recently on the trucker thing that's going to appear in um, a book that's organized by our good friend uh, Bill Marchant. I think it's called Ending Bigly Two, but about like Trudeau, and it's like thirty pages. It's a big thing. I called I, I talk about what I call the Canada model of multiculturalism, uh, but. So you have these immense pressures, right? With within the, the sort of the originary, well, not the indigenous, but rather the well, I mean, well, the indigenous people they have their own unique pressures as well, and there's a lot of issues there. But in terms of like the European stock that came over here, there is sort of like a lot of unique pressures, and especially towards young people. So when you have a system like universal health care that eats up, like in Ontario, I think it's like 
approaching almost 60% of all tax revenue, like some insane number like that. So, but you, so you have these systems that come from what you're saying, this sort of like rootless neoliberal, like end of history state where people's basic needs are taken care of more or less, or they're taken care of very poorly, but there's sort of like, because these traditional systems have been eroded, as we all know, the state has to come in and take over. And like, you know, this, I, I'm not, I was a libertarian for many years of, of, Thank God I weren't got out all? of that. Yeah, where <laughs> we all, right? Where we all. But I think that there is something to be said of like the necessity of the state to take over. Now, to me, it's not the the libertarian, oh, we have to get rid of the state, but it's rather because we have a lot of like dead zones within society in terms of human relations, in terms of our own sense of self, in terms of you know, domestic politics. It's like you almost need something to come along and fill the void because if you don't, then you have a lot of like precarious and destitute people. Mm. But I think that what people don't realize is that you almost, by necessity, the system has to have these precarious and destitute people. And this is the basic, like, you know, Foucauldian biopolitics thing, right? In that, especially like, look at a state like California where the homelessness issue is like, you know, approaching like third world favela level, right? You know, my, my mother, um, uh, we're genetically, we're Italian is, you know, uh, Calabrese, but my uh, family, my mother's side of the family, most of them, they were expats to Brazil, uh, since at least world war one. So I, my family's been there for a very long time in Sao Paulo. And uh, my mother was born and raised there. Her first language is Portuguese. And, uh, you know, Brazil, I, I think is like, um, a very good shelling point for like what we're experiencing here now, because a lot of the same pressures we have, it's in Brazil, but only it's like magnified because of their population. Right. So, um, you have a society that's on the edge, but you have certain elements within that society, which are very well off uh, as we know. But when it comes to the population, when it comes to the favelization of urban centers in particular, because a lot of people, they don't choose to go out to the North of Brazil, the Amazon, Amazonia, because living out there is like, unless you're some like indentured slave to a mining company, it's like, it's abysmal, right? It's terrible. So in America, North America, the reason why this idea of like what they call like the sort of third worldization or favelization, it's, it's kind of apt, but it isn't because in Brazil, they still have a sense of like a strong national unity, right? Like they still have a strong identity, which I mean, in some ways kind of hinders them from realizing the real problems. But I think that, now you have a situation where there's a lot of destitute people, but you have like a pervasive rootlessness. You have like sort of um, there was this one journalist that said that Canada was the the best motel in the world. Mm-hmm. Best yeah. motel, na- a nation as a motel. Yeah, right? I, I call it the mm-hmm. the airport loungeization, loungeification of, of the world. Yeah, the guy it's... that lived in the airport that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like that's because the non-place, like, you, you know, the, the book by, uh, by, uh, what's his name? Og, right. The non-place, you know that? No, no. Well, he wrote this book called the non-place where it's a very popular idea because a lot of like, um, like internet aesthetics, like Reddit stuff, like Reddit subreddits, they have like, you know, liminal spaces, you know, that stuff. They have the, the music, they have the image compilations 
I there's something within the millennial psyche in particular that is very attuned to this nostalgia for the non-place. So the non-place is like um the zones of ambiguity. It the zone that that a particular form of modernity produced be, that's pure functionality. So you have like in the city you have doctors offices, you have bus terminals, you have airports, right? You have the the space in between the airports. You go it's like this thing um because modernity or rather a certain form of like westernized neoliberal modernity um our approach to social services and our approach to daily activity in urban settings has manifested into a lot of zones that don't have what Heidegger called dwelling so Martin Heidegger wrote this very great essay called um you know what's it called I have it right here actually uh was it thinking being dwelling um let's see I can't believe I forgot the name building dwelling thinking building dwelling thinking where um a place has a form of dwelling that is intimately tied to its culture its people its activity its significance right but dwelling comes after building but what we have nowadays in modernity is the non-place where there is sort of um a hub of activity that doesn't belong to anyone because by design, it is a public utility. It is something that doesn't have a particular significance, right? In terms of one's culture and one's activity and one's being, one's family structure. So now that we're surrounded by non-places, now whole government structures become non-places. Canada is the best non-place nation in the world. We are literally what Trudeau called the post-national country, meaning that we don't have a particular identity from which we can dwell within our own space because now we're a space to the world right like an airport so the non-place has become a very good operational model for understanding what we're experiencing in modernity um which is sad and terrible because there is a sort of like aesthetic appeal to them but at the the same time the these sort of they're an anti-aesthetics because they're just yeah. designed purely for utility. They're the IKEA furniture section. Like, like I remember, I remember um watching this documentary. Uh, it was some kind of like architectural thing where they had these like um in the middle of Denmark, I think, they had these like urban like uh, cone apartments that looked like a hexagon, right? But it was like right in the middle of the street, and literally your front door goes out to the main like metropolitan street, right? Like there's no separation there. There's no like like in New York, you have like, you know, the uh, the brownstones with like the front mm-hmm. yard, right? You know, or in London, you have the council flats. It's like, um, to me, it was so strange because you have this like space, which should be a place of dwelling, which should be a home, but it's in the middle of the non-place of the public square. So it's like this weird, like it is your home, but it isn't your home. It's just a utility sort of thing. A literal pod, cone pods. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The pod, the pod thing. Exactly. It's like, it is your home, but it isn't. It's just your place of occupation temporarily. And that's, I think that's like the a, essence of Reddit, you know, it's just yeah. everything is just there to be used by you, the homunculus in the meat suit. Yeah, like you get to rent things, you know, you, you want uh, the sort of like, you know, World Economic Forum, uh, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you want a waffle maker in we'll the morning, it comes to you. You'll be happy, exactly, because you are a self-contained unit. You are no longer, there is no such thing as dwelling anymore, because dwelling implies, you know, 
it implies patriarchy, it implies hierarchy, it implies yeah, exclusion. Other people who are not dwelling at the same time. Exactly. But the thing is, like, you have people that are very com- not comfortable. Like, they like to think they're comfortable, but like, like you know, the anarchist squad, the sort of like um, trans uh, Reddit moderator, uh, crash house. You know, like you have sort of an idea of communal living that they're trying to like, in a way. It's like the secularized, like postmodern LARPing of communi- communitarianism and like the commune squat, right? The the sort of the Paris commune idea. But imagine if, like, in some ways, it's like, yeah, there, like, you know, Eastern Europe was filled with those. There's like a lot of flowery, you know, post-Soviet communist ideas, blah blah blah. But I think that, in some ways, um, it's it's like imagine that, but only as an individual. You're in your like little pod apartment that like you have to move because of your job every once in a while. And you really don't own anything except for like the clothes on your back. And it's like this rental, this like, uh, what do they call it? The World Economic Forum, not the uh, not the resource based economy. That was the uh, the the other people there. Um, what do they call it? The the, the new economic. Uh, oh, God, what's, what do they call it? Their buzzword. Um, I don't know build back better and there's all sorts <laughs> yeah yeah but they, they it's like the the system they call it it's no longer the consumer economy it's the uh not the sharing economy the uh renter yeah 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 the yeah, the renter yeah, the hellscape renter. yes <laughs> um and i think yeah it's it's very but it's very funny how now there is like a weird sort of like counter discourse by people trying to like aestheticize these spaces like the liminal space compilations there's something about that where it's something in combination with that creepy music the millennial nostalgia where you have like images of like a you know like like a, a factory or like it, that, that that was reappropriated for like a you know a kid's library or whatever like it's like you have a picture of the library when you're a kid you go in there yeah. there's a big bear in the me- corner yeah. It feels like it's it's kind of like, you know, that that uncanny valley feeling, you know, it's, it's kind it of is. something yeah. that a lot yeah. of people seek out because these spaces are so unnatural. It's like the only place you see this type, you know, this these type of angles and these type of textures in nature is like if you're looking at like Yosemite and like a, at a cliff face or something like yeah. that. It's just yeah. it doesn't happen. So I guess people are like, I don't know, titillated by whatever but it is. But they're uncanny and they're unnatural because you have two forces that are going off in your head at once. The one is that the non-place, the liminal space, like you were saying, is is uncanny. It's unnatural. It is something of utility. It lacks a dwelling. But by the mere fact that you have this sort of very particular North American millennial nostalgia over it, it's like you're trying to graft a space of mental dwelling upon them. Mm. that's where you have this contradiction of course i think that if you like someone like you who grew up in eastern europe right like i think your picture of a non-place is different like do you have that same nostalgia when you see the soviet brutalist apartment like maybe right sort of i don't know i mean they're they're really really shitty <laughs> so i don't really have this there's kind of I think like a, a a limit of tolerance of, of shittiness where nostalgia kind of stops where you're like okay yeah. i'm actually glad we don't live oh in man all those kids <laughs> paint the basement paper thin walls oh man yeah <laughs> yeah the, the cockroach is the size of cats yeah no thanks you can uh <laughs> <laughs> Can't go to not return town because of the zingada. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
yeah, I mean, there, there were, you know, obviously good things, you know, there's definitely a, you know, a much deeper sense of community and stuff, you know, because there was need you really needed to know your neighbors. Um, yeah. there was yeah. a lot of like a brisk trade and contraband happening, like a lot of stuff, you know, you really needed to know people to survive. And that is something that kind of fell away after communism. And mm-hmm. a lot of people who are nostalgic for communism, because you, you often hear about these people like, oh, it was better during Ceausescu's times. I mean, one, they were younger. You know, it's easier to think that things were better when no, you were they, younger. They were, they were cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, people were, you know, their their erections were more frequent <laughs> and lasted longer <laughs> and things like that. Uh, but also, uh, it's, it's that, uh, you know, yeah. the fact that people actually had, you know, that sense of community and which, which now has disappeared. Um, and, you know, hierarchies have been completely appended uh, because what the communists did, they brought in a lot of people who used to be pretty much the dregs of society, put them in, in charge for, you know, a longer oh, yeah. time. And yeah. then when yeah. capitalism came around, you know, obviously, you know, knowing people, nepotism, all that still had a lot of currency, but you also had to, you know, start working and be efficient and all this type of stuff. So a lot of the people who were in charge didn't really make the cut and they're a bit pissed off as well. And you so. have like a lot of people who were in like Soviet prisons or who were um, like, like you were saying, the refuse very like, especially young men, who are like um, the sort of like post-Soviet bodybuilder state of like people with a lot of like um, like Sambo martial arts and military training trooping through Eastern Europe, you know, genociding each other. Like it's, there's, I, I feel like, yeah, the limits to nostalgia is kind of like out yeah. there. It's one of those things, you know, when when war actually happens, when you're confronted, you know, with with actual physical violence, when you get punched in the face real hard and you get knocked yeah. out, you know, you know, the theory seldom just kind of leaves your body in- instantly <laughs> and you're just yeah. thrust back into yeah. history. So it's uh, yeah, I think sadly i feel like my neighbor is committing unbrotherly behavior so i must go out and (laughs) exactly and i feel you know this is a this is a point you know to to bap's conception of life in a way you know it's like Mm. he essentially tries to to use theory to use the conjuring to bring you into that state where you got punched in the face uh, and to kind of ground you in that in that sensation (laughs) uh but unfortunately i think the punch has to proceed you know, <laughs> you know what's funny? You mentioned the orgasm. You mentioned the, the erection thing. There is a lot of um, post-Soviet romanticism around, like the sort of like anarchic sexuality that was there for a little time in the margins. But of course, as we know, this well under Stalin, under you know Brezhnev, suppressed instantly. <laughs> yeah, like there was. I mean, there's a lot of there's certain like memeish like. And then the Nazball thing is a meme, but there's a certain element that is like, well, you know, Stalin was based, blah, 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 blah like the tanky stuff. Like, and, and now you have this sort of like, oh, again, I shouldn't mention them because they're a few of those people are really beneath me. Uh, but like, let's say the wholesome Chungus Ron Paul Maoism of like, you know, the Chinese are based. They're going to bring back the family, um, you know, the 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 economic structure of the West. Then you have the rival conception, which is, of course, Eurasianism and like, you know, the based right wing against the Atlanticists. But it's funny because when you look at like, as you know, there were pockets within the Soviet Union in the margins in Eastern Europe where you have like these communes that were very much about like the Marcusian free love and shit like that. But you also have... um these explorations and like the limits to things like brutalism and and the non-place. There's this great book about architecture at the very end of the Soviet Union, where this guy is a photojournalist, but he went around um, 
places like Romania, like uh, Moldova, basically anywhere where architects could like hide and they could just like bill the so- the Moscow for supplies and and for like resources. And basically the commissaries like didn't give a shit near the end. They're like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. We don't care, right? And so they ended up creating these beautiful modernist architectural features that are very iconic of these regions. So you have like, like let's face it, very poor, almost third world country nations like uh, Moldova, um, Ukraine. Like, you know, you you have these nations that are like, the people themselves are depressed and they were, you know, looted by oligarchs. But yet you have these like incredibly like ahead of their time architectural features that like you look at them and you know, I think he described them as almost like free floating dreams upon the landscape because there was a space, there was a liminal, there was sort of a liminality between a society on its last legs and collapsing where you could have some sort of freedom. The way that there was, I would say, great artistic free feat in uh, Weimar Germany. You had like some of my favorite artists of all time, like Otto Dix, uh, Breckman, um, you know, uh, Metropolis, uh, other films. You had uh, the, the expressionists like Egon Schiele, you, you know, um, uh, who, am I, who else am I thinking of? You know, Beckman, Otto Dix. Um, there, there was, uh, oh, oh, Kathy Kollwitz. You know, you, you have like a sort of very stark exploration into the human experience that was very like not, what art was during the, you know, during the Kaiser and also not what art was like during that other regime that came after, but like, (laughs) but you, you know, you had like, nowadays I feel that if we truly are in a empire on its eclipse, then maybe there will be a sort of fugitive liminality to art, philosophy, expression. I think BAP is one of them right now. The problem is that we are experiencing intense and crushing aesthetic homogeneity. Like, because symbols have become, uh, images have become dialectical in the sense that um, Benjamin had this concept of the dialectical image, where like uh, a, a piece of art or a, a, a sort of particular aesthetic image can become operationalized, right? So now we have like the colors before it was you know, the the masking and the things like that, the sort of biosecurity issue. Now we have like the green, it's not the green, we have the- uh, Blue, yellow. The blue and yellow, yeah. right? So yeah. because, and of course, you know, flat design and all that stuff. So because we have this particular form of uh, the aestheticization of politics in all life, it's harder to actually have a breakaway aesthetic movement nowadays. Because you could do it in Weimar, Germany. You could do it at the end of the Soviet Empire. But if we're truly at the end of the American Atlanticist Empire, which maybe, I mean, well, let's, let's face it, that's like, that's kind of copium in some ways. That's doomsday optimism, as we used to say. But if that's true, then should we have not this explosion of subversive aesthetics and philosophy and poetry and so forth? And uh, there are signs of it. I mean, I know with the Passage Prize with Lomez, we were trying to do that. But I think that we have to conquer this pervasive, I would say, aesthetic terrorism that's inflicted upon us by these, you know, the hideousness of modern life is uh, not like even expressing the hideousness of modern life becomes challenging because it's like 
this weird, you know, like, well, I say no more, say no more. But yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. And I think it kind of brings me back to what you wrote in your essay, because um, it feels like, you know, there's, there's a certain self-consuming character to the, the spaces that we're in and the spaces where, you know, the, the, the thousand flowers should be blooming. Um, mm. And uh, it's, I don't know exactly. Like, I think, I think you describe it really well. There's, I have a few quotes here from it, but it's like, for example, one is here, like, you know, um, creating an environment where you get your own little circus outside of the big 10 circus. Most people consume complete with his own spectacles and systems of scapegoating, finding a sort of impotent form of of cynical entertainment in the tragedy of others, the mutual (laughs) placing each other in the shark's womb. Uh, I were about six years ago. There's a link to that, uh, where one can only make it out alive by being the most craven, vicious uh, backstabber. Um, and I feel like this is quite apt. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've, I've seen yeah. this. Uh, I've seen this happen a few times, and I feel like you know, um, the, the problem that I see is you know, we on the on the right deserved it, but that's besides the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who deserves it for for what? I think it's it's also you know, yeah. um, it's very hard to practice no enemies to the right. When yeah, incredibly hard, yeah. you know why? Because uh, you know, I also you know believe in friend enemy, but the problem is because everyone has you know all of their theory cell cards out, and you have a whole history of things. You have to align on a thousand different axes, um, right, and on right. some I am more to the right than you, and on some I will be more to the left than you, and you can always come after me for that. And that's also why the ratchet happens, where like you said, you know, almost the most craven and vicious backstabbers, and also the people who are willing to push it you know, furthest to the right so that right. they always cover their right flank and they could always, you know, go after the people who, you know, last right. week were just too soft on, I don't know, decapitation or whatever, <laughs> you know. And Female clintonectomy. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and things like that. So that's that's the problem. And the, the problem is these incentives are baked in and, you know, people, you know, you could call me like a lib or whatever, but th- this is the incentive of the system. Being the most you know, hard right guy and trying to, uh, you know, constantly, you know, clean the boundaries of, of your, of your group, you know, small or big or whatever. Yeah. Essentially that's, that's how the system exists. And that's why it keeps collapsing in on itself. I mean, it's, it's collapsed in on itself a few times since I've been here. It's, it's very hard to build any sort of alliances on this thing. You know, like you said, there's no really a thing. There's a lot of group dynamics that go into it. I think that on the one end, there is a need to police each other because in some ways it's impossible to police each other. Um, but the reason why these uh, points of ideological purity come up is that there are a lot of people who like, because of like, it, I'm going to write part of it. Actually, I think that, I mean, this might turn into a book to tell the truth. There's a lot of different notes. I have a lot of different chapters but I think that to, you know, because I hate when they do this bullshit of like, I'm not going to spoil it. You got to go read my sub stack. It's like, <laughs> no, let me, I'm going to break it down because you're a friend of mine and uh, no nonsense, right? You know, nice. I, <laughs> thank you. I, I was, I was going to write about the nature of anonymity. I know, for example, um, uh, by the way, great podcast with him, uh, Daryl Cooper. He got into some hot water with uh, talking about anonymity. I, I, my position is that, you have to get to a place in society where you can be like someone like me who like, let's face it has nothing to lose. And uh, you know, that's why I, I post face. Also like, like I said, like, here's the thing. If I were to LARP as something online anonymously and someone found my docs, like imagine if I LARPed as a right wing bodybuilder, 
Can you, can you imagine the other, like, just BTF Boeing of I myself? Imagine if I left as a right wing body. Some people speculate that certain big accounts are women. Actually, I don't know about that. But like, I mean, lives of TikTok is a is a you know lives uh, of TikTok is a Kazar Milkerzienta. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. She she's quite attractive. But, well, I'm not going to get mean, into it because I have to. Maintain she's mid, the obviously, but <laughs> she's a, <laughs> the, no. But see, the mid the mid Yenta is like the kryptonite. <laughs> of the online right okay anyways no not get into that um, i think no but i think you could tell when a woman is online you could tell by the speech patterns you could tell by the way they tax i think you can tell but um what i mean is <laughs> no but that's what i mean like if you were to larp as something online so i think that you need to create an environment in which you can come out you can be honest but we're not there yet and this is where Martyr made made that mistake. We're not there yet. And to, yeah. to expect that people, and that's like, if you expect people to post face, right? That is like immediate sign. That's fed activity. You're a fed. And like the fed accusation is another sort of like discursive tool of, of panopticism that we all participate in. Now, is there a lot of feds? Yes, there is. There's tons of feds. But I think that the policing around who is more right wing and who is a fed and so forth. The reason why this happens is because you have, okay, people have been burned in the past. People have been doxxed. People have been persecuted. I mean, look at Ricky Vaughn, for instance, mm-hmm. Ricky Vaughn was like the first big mutual of my, well, apart from Facebook was the first big mutual that I ever had. And he was always nice to me. And he literally posted a joke where like, what was it? You vote and you get an Obama phone or some shit like this since like 2010s, right? But the federal government is like legitimately persecuting him and indoxing him. And and he was doxed by other quote unquote right wingers too, who were, in my opinion, bad faith actors and they were suspicious and they were like, you know, doing the whole edgy edge posting, naming them sort of stuff, which not going to get into history. But I mean that the reason why it's there. And the reason why we participate in this panopticism is because we have been burned. We've been surveilled. There's legitimate feds, but also it's because when you come from a position of like, let's say if you're a low B anonymous account and you think that, you know, I have to be on the cutting edge of discourse, not this person. Because here's the thing in my essay series, I'm not claiming that I'm an expert or I'm on the cutting edge of discourse. Like that's, that's stupid, right? Like that, I, I'm too, I guess I'm too humble for that in the sense that I don't, I, I, I'm consciously aware of the fact that I probably will bungle certain concepts or ideas up, but like, that's just the risk you take with being a cartographer of ideas, right? So the reason it's there is because you have people that have to enforce a sort of ideological purity in terms of the group dynamic, which is, uh, which is different than the way leftists do it. Because with leftism, with contemporary like lib like radical liberal politics there is the the sort of like group shelling points of discourse they're enforced by organizations and they have a structure to them right but when it comes to one's personal identity then that is individualized now you are this like cyber communist furry tanky you know uh anarcho communist uh fuda 
enjoyer. Oh God, I can't believe I said that word. But like, uh, you know, whereas when it comes to the online right, this is a point that our good friend, default friend had, right? That when it comes to the online right, the identity becomes the group. It becomes the Pepe the Frog. It becomes the right-wing bodybuilder. You know, the, the Bappian Vitalist. It becomes the aesthetic poster. Right, the the, the Castizo futurist aesthetic poster, right? <laughs> and I'm fr- I'm pretty much friends with a lot of these people, but like, it's different in the sense that you have to maintain that group dynamic because you are under such a, you know, siege mentality, a Skinner box, you're surveilled, right? So you don't have this sort of like, I am a leftoid, but I'm also an anarcho-communist furry, whatever. Like, yeah. there's a different persona there. But when it comes to the online right, when you when you experience these like, group dynamics, you have to police each other. And the only way you can police each other, because there's no physical. Well, I mean, there's some people maybe, but like there's been like absolutely brutal and gutless people that have doxed each other. But when it comes to like actual like animals of power, the way that like these leftists experience, there is no proper way to really police each other other than saying that you're not sufficiently right-wing or you're a fad or you're suspicious, right? Like, it, it very much is like subaltern group dynamics. I hate to say, like, listen, I know we love LARPing like we're in power. I know we love to think that we're these political architects, but the reality is that we're an avant-garde. That's my point. Like, we're not like this... We we can like use the political system like putty in our hands, like like not even Dugin can do that in Russia. Okay, like the whole bullshit about Dugin's Ras Dugin Ras Dugin. He's like he's whispering in Putin's ear. You know, no, that's not true at, at all, right? Um, so we have to police each other in such a way. But then you have people who really don't have anything to lose on the lower end of the spectrum who it's very convenient to go after the quote-unquote big accounts and the e-celebs, right? And this is the way it works. You have to go after the big names because the big name, as soon as you get to a certain point where you have an audience and you're aware of the fact you have an audience, then you will stop. Like, like you experience different levels of criticism, right? As you As you know, right? So you have to behave yourself in such a way as to deflect certain forms of criticism that are tactical, right? Because let's face it, we're going to get banned at any second, right? Like, that doesn't matter. Unless unless St. Elon buys Twitter with all of his millions. It's, you know, even then, even then, right? Um, So it's like when you're on the sort of, um, when you're coming up in the scene, quote unquote, it's a very effective tool to say that Geo is a gatekeeper. Zero HP Lovecraft is a gatekeeper. Bap is a gatekeeper. Well, Alex Kashuta, you're a woman, so therefore you're that's double whammy right there. That's that you're getting into a Fed activity right there. Mm -hmm. Blowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're thirst trapping and all that stuff. So, I think that these dynamics are there for a reason, but but it's not too dissimilar from the way that avant-garde cultural movements have always conducted themselves, right? And I think that it's important to study it from that lens because like even BAP would say this, we're not a movement. Like we we kind of are, we're kind of friends. We kind of like agree that like, you know, racism and sexism is funny, which I mean, they are objectively, they're funny, (laughs) but like, Oh God. Oh no. But, um, it's like the, the, the energy that was present in 2016 is no longer there. Right. 
Now, whether something new can come down the pipe, because that's what happens with the avant-garde. You need a sort of, you need a very clear balkanization point. You need a sticking point. You need something that can provide energy and mm-hmm. fulfillment to people or else the whole thing's going to collapse because we don't have those institutional apparatuses to find ourselves in. Because that's why a leftist can like be like a, a head of a think tank or be a professional activist, but also be like a, a furry pervert on the internet because they can sort of... um they can fulfill different roles, if you will, in life. Whereas when you are a part of an avant-garde, the sum totality of your outsiderness, your outsider status becomes who you are. So now you have to be like, well, I got to differentiate myself. Therefore, I'm more right-wing than that guy, right? I'm more racist than that guy, right? Like it's, <laughs> that, that's what happens in a way. And, and the thing is like, I think that you have to realize that when you do post your face online, when you are, when you use your real name, we both use our real names. It's like, you can't just go and like, you know, I, I, I realized at the beginning of this, uh, this recording, I did the Hail Putler thing, but like, I think like that was, listen, I, I joke, I joke, I'm liberal, I'm liberal. <laughs> no, but I think like, you can't just go off the cock and like, you know, I support, violence in the Austrian painter, right? Like you have to be a bit more uh, tactical than that. But until the day that you can be, and, and that's the real tragedy of it as well, in my opinion, because a lot of these things, like a lot of these ironic sort of like ironic racism, ironic sexism, a lot of it like is hilarious. Like it's, it, it's some, it, it, but I think that the the problem is you have two responses to that. You have the one side, which is, total seriousness you have to be the utmost pure and serious in your racism or your sexism to the point where you advocate for i don't know female annihilationism or something like that um the abolition of the the feminine right um or you have this other side which i think is equally toxic i know that's a shitty term but you know what i mean where it's like everything becomes irony and your irony poison and there's no friends in the internet and the internet is just you know jokes it's no no big deal when you see that the internet is changing discourse, when online discourse is bleeding into the real, into real life, then it's like the goal of this essay series or this book or whatever it turns into is I want to say that, you know, there was an innocence and now we're in the age of experience. Now we have to be serious. We have to confront ourselves in what we're doing. We have to say that if it is true that our ideas can permeate and percolate and sort of like sediment, you know, above the surface, right? It's not just in the platonic cave of ideas um, and the internet. Then what are we going to do from there? I think that is what I'm trying to like put forward is like, we have to seriously examine what we are and we have to look at things in a way in which is like honest, right? And uh, because I do feel that it's important. I feel that this is what I said, okay? Now I'm not going to bring certain people up that have, you know, I went to war with or whatever, but let me just say that there were certain people, person, who, you know, said, fuck it, you people are evil, I'm getting out of here, I'm going to be better than you, blah, 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 like the whole, like, I, you know, a woman scorn sort of deal, which is like very effeminine behavior, like, you know, I hate to say it, it's like, oh, well, I don't like you guys anymore, because you're a fucking asshole to me, you called me fat, you know how many fucking people call me fat every day, Alex? Go on, right? Like, <laughs> But the, uh, sorry, I gave away who this person is. But anyways, um, 
I I still don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Don't, he's beneath your thinking. Um, point being is that I said when I came back to Twitter, I said in my essay, I didn't. I don't want to go that way because let's face it, I can't. Because let's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to like start pouring scorn on the people that generally do like you know support me and 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 have like you know seen me on this journey, if you will, as you know, stupid as that sounds. But at the other. The other end is like, I, I, I don't want to be that person that says, you guys are fucking assholes. You guys aren't going to do anything in life. You're just going to be shit posters forever. I don't want to be that way because I do feel that even if it is just shit posting, even if it is just an, an affectation of an aesthetic of an avant-garde movement, I still feel that there is enough importance there. There is enough significance within my life and the life of people I interact with to say that, listen, we need a serious examination of what we're doing because I do believe that we in some ways have influenced certain things and that effort, that momentum, that can't just be for nothing. Right? Like people, like we talk about like, Oh, you're just a shit poster in the internet, but there's like an actual flesh and blood human, human being behind that anime avatar or whatever. Right? Like I feel that people are, they're lost in that sea of ironic shit posting that they don't realize that, Yes, it's important. Yes, we're doing something meaningful. And also every other single aesthetic or political group, that's how it started off as well, right? Like that there's no, it's no different than, you know, the the uh the situationists or whatever. Like it's just a lot of those movements failed, the new age movement failed. It's just like if it fails, it fails. It's just that you have to approach things from okay, we are putting psychic energy into this thing. What does this thing of ours mean? Right. And so like people, for example, they make fun of Thomas 777, uh, triple Thomas triple seven. I, 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 <laughs> but I, I feel like I have to honor the man by saying all of the sevens. People yeah. make fun of him all the time for being like, oh, you're just fucking Gen X. You're just, just a LARP. You know, you look stupid with a jacket. But it's like, no, he <laughs> actually believes in what he's doing. He actually believes yeah. that he has a mission. Right. And I admire that. And it, it's like if it looks hokey and it looks from another time, it's like. Have the space to be hokey. Have the space to be sincere. Because let's face it, our enemies to the other side, those especially those irony leftists, the fucking Chapo people, yeah, they, they despise sincerity, right? And yeah. so when you put yourself, it's like, listen, I want to have a family. I want to have a homestead. I mean, the homestead thing is problematic because it's like, you know, a lot of it's a LARP or whatever. But it's like, if you're serious about it, like sincerity is like the kryptonite to these people. They That's why they make fun of you. They say that you're, you know, all these problems are just in your head. You know, that picture where the guy is like painting the demons and he's like, you know, in the mm -hmm. panel, he's like cowering uh, yeah. over the demons he painted. Like that's because these people, they genuinely don't believe that they're the ones within the halls of cultural power and that we're the ones who are on the total outside. Right? Like that's, so when you're from a position of outsideness, to, I mean, not, not, not the Landian outsideness, but like when you're a total outsider, I feel that you should be afforded a certain level of sincerity in what you're doing. But the problem is that irony has been such an effective tool to us for, for OPSEC, you know, for just general operation, just, you know, to, to not get banned every single second, I think is another problem. But the problem is that irony is a double-edged sword. It always is. It's like, what did Foster Wallace say? His famous quote, um, irony, irony is like a bird that loves his cage. Like, you know, 
I have you know what I mean? I'm I'm on the fence with these things because I do realize that I post my face out there. Uh, sorry, Alex, I'm just rambling. <laughs> no worries, yeah. no worries. I'll I'll have to wrap up soon just because uh, oh, yeah. it's uh, it's bedtime, baby situations. We need to wake up at an ungodly hour, so I always I wrap a, a little bit early. Um, but before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the question of the show again. If you have shortly anyone that you might have missed last time that you want to oh, recommend man. to uh, to the listeners you recommend a few books during this podcast but maybe you've got one more um let's see oh god i love this question and i'm trying to think of one well i mean i the later works of heidegger i think like building dwelling thinking is a great i already said that uh well i mean the 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 stuff that uh that nina power is working on is quite interesting What's it called? Mm-hmm. Compact Magazine. Book? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Compact Magazine. Yeah. Um, the- Angelicism, the the one uh, Substack account's very good. Oh, I've been reading some Sadie Plant recently, the, the book Zeros and Ones. I think uh, that's a great. Uh, she was um, she's probably like the most neglected uh, member of the CCRU. So she was there with like Nick Land and uh, Mark oh. Fisher, mm-hmm. and oh, she yeah. wrote this. She wrote this one book on drugs, but she also wrote this book called zeros and ones about um, basically femininity within the digital age and what the picture of the woman is like. And I think that um, a lot of uh, there's, I think what you're doing, what default friend is doing and my friend, Jonna, uh, I think like exploring these sort of spaces of what it meant to be a young woman in the internet, you know, the early to mid two thousands. Cause we know what it's like to be like an incel or whatever on the internet, like these online groups. Right. But I think that that's an often neglected space because now we're seeing this like weird, like, you know, often hostile dynamic between like, you know, the rad femmes and the online right and so forth. And I think that to understand the unique ways in which the sort of like hyper reality has affected the woman as well as the picture of the masculine, I think is very fascinating. So Sadie Plant is a good resource. Um, I've been reading more Jack Lule recently, uh, The mm-hmm. Technological Society, which I think is like probably a, a good, if, you, if you're if you sort of like mind boggled by Heidegger, I think The Technological Society is like a good place to start before you read his essay, The Question Concerning Technology, because there's a lot of similarities there in the way that they approach uh, each other. And also, I've been reading a lot of uh, Paul Virilio recently. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I wanted to ask. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that seems yeah, to right. be like the very much tied into a little. Yeah, very much. Uh, these these are all on my reading list. I'm also doing some some research for for a bigger project in that direction. But yeah, it's going nice, to take nice. a while to see. Yeah, I'm also kind of just at at the point where it's you know I think the the return on my shit posting starting to to go down, and I feel like you know need to do something a bit more substantive, uh, kind of like your project as well. So yeah, we'll see. I we'll see where, really, where it ends. No, really, because really, I think more than anyone is probably um, one of those like later post-structuralist thinkers that is like super important to understanding that what we're experiencing right now. Um, there's this essay that he wrote. Um, well, actually, the aesthetics of disappearance is like a huge part of um, one chapter in my series where I talk about like what it means to be an online ship poster. There's also this book by Giorgio Gombin called The Coming Community which I mean, theory sells in academia, we horrified by this, but Chan culture basically is what he means by a community without an identity. 
So a lot of like mm. theory cells in academia, like the the fucking Jason Stanley types, they're like, oh my god, that's terrible. But it's oh, I'm trying to make the argument. But Paul Virilio, he wrote this essay called um uh what's it called? A pitiless art. Pitiless art, where he was talking about the sort of like extreme art forms in the nineties and early two thousands. And he said that like uh the sort of how art reflects society and how we experience this sort of this pitilessness where you have like very extreme feats of contorting the body and contorting being in the work of art. And to me, I feel that um, a lot of like what we're doing now is almost like a virtual form of pitiless art where the sort of like extreme right-wing posting in itself is an aesthetics or rather a sort of an extreme form of ironic truth telling that is pitiless. That is like psychically goring. That is like something that is outside of the norm to such an extreme degree. But I also have this other essay where I'm working on where I compare, um, which is again, another uh, affect of mine. I compare his essay to deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> like some, a huge wrestling fan as everyone knows. And I grew up uh, watching what they call deathmatch wrestling, where they use, you know, uh, glass and light tubes and it's like blood everywhere and you know, <laughs> ecw you know um so <laughs> i i view it almost as like a form of performance art and uh, my good friend ben sexsmith has also um written He's about it as well coming on on monday oh nice ask him about wrestling <laughs> uh bring because he he wrote i wrote this essay back in the day back in like 2016 i wrote this essay on deathmatch wrestling and he actually wrote this essay about it in uh Anthwart, I think the publication is called. Athwart? Athwart, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, you bastard, you stole my insight. (laughs) He's like, no, your essay really inspired me, Gio, you know? And uh, he's a great dude. I love him. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. But uh, no, I, uh, yeah, so I have a lot of stuff I'm trying to write, a lot of stuff I'm trying to paint. Like, I really have to uh, open up that print shop online so people can actually, like, buy my stuff. Just, yeah. I don't know. I just, think you have to get yourself into gear. Get over those, yeah. those mental blockages. I know exactly what you what you mean. It's, well, like it's I, hard. Well, you you wrote that. Yeah, the, like that one tweet I had where I said that. Um, it's the responsibility of grifting that terrifies me. It's like you have yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. People. I was like, yeah, because it's the thing is, if you really want to take it seriously, I'm kind of also kind of you know rolling this at a half mat. I don't have any gated content. I don't have anything. Everything's just like I have early releases, but yeah. everything comes out in the end. And I'm like, I'm kind of feeling bad if I if I hold back any episodes. I'm like, I don't want to mess with it. And I just really don't want to push it that way. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this as in, in hobby mode for now. But I feel like if I wanted more people to listen to it, I would also be more involved in actually making more, better, more interesting, more research, more, yeah. you know, better content. But I'm kind of holding back, you know, just because I'm like, ah, uh, you know. <laughs> that requires time and dedication. And I think that my problem is like, I've done a lot of stuff always ostensibly for free. And I feel like because I've been so someone who has been under the wheelhouse of other people, I feel that um, to break out and do my own thing, which I I do anyways, like I have my own YouTube channel, yeah. uh, generatproductionsyoutube.com. Um, I feel like the responsibility of having a Ko-Fi, of running exclusive content, of having a print shop, it's terrifying because it's like, in a way you, it's this weird thing where in a way you feel like you're comfortable under the sort of like project of other people because you can identify with it. But at the same time, it's like 
you're pissed off because it's like, oh, no one recognizes me for what I do, right? So it's like this weird yeah. that kind of, but what you're saying, it's it, I understand it because when you have like paywalled content, it's like you feel in some ways that your efforts are important enough and 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 sort of like good enough because like that's the stuff you paywall is the good shit, right? Like not the, the low effort stuff, but it's like, it's good enough where it's like, what's more important, me getting money for it or like, sorry, getting money for it or like it being released to the world and it becomes its own thing. And like maybe yeah, and you kind of want to optimize for reach and you know, you just, yeah. I don't think I'm at the point where the podcast is really that huge that I can't, you know, get more reach and, you know, I don't want to yeah. optimize for people actually finding it and listening to it. So anyway, but this is, yeah, the, the nitty gritty of the, the, the business network or the Ben Shapiro uh, podcast. <laughs> no, oh yeah. Kidding. Yeah. That's, that's the next step up. Yeah. I don't know. What's the, I don't think I've been to any of the, I think probably more like IDW stuff is the biggest stuff that I've done. Like, yeah. I know rebel wisdom, a trigonometry, I think was the biggest one. No, yeah, that was the biggest new one, culture yeah. forms. The one with the, the biggest view count, uh, which is kind of yeah, like a I British thing. Yeah. 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 That was good. I like that. Black filling people about fertility and shit. But the thing is, you kind of like when you're going bigger platforms, you kind of got to do the greatest hits thing. Yeah, you know yeah, what or mean? whatever yeah. they're interested in. Because sometimes, you know, what really good uh, thing to do is like, you know, like now I read your essay and I was like, oh my gosh, it's really good. You know, come on, just writing a piece of content, even for Substack on a particular subject. That's that's how you get a huge, you know, a lot of podcasts. Exactly. That's always how. If I whenever there's a lull and and me getting invited somewhere, I just like whatever <laughs> type something <laughs> yeah, I out know, and I know. push it into the world. But that's the thing. It's like you always have the grind is always there. It's just that um, I think like people, they they reacted negatively to the tweet that inspired all of that because it's like, oh, this is about having fun or this is about doing that. I think that the thing is, when you do contribute a lot to a certain thing after a while, um, then, you know, you feel like, yeah, maybe it'd be nice if I was compensated for once in my life, you know, but at the same time. Yeah the grifting thing is different because I feel that there are certain people when you hang around for a long time and you have your own little cabal and you sort of like have your little grift circle, you start to get lazy, you start to get complacent, but also what is a grifter? A grifter is someone who is putting something out there that they probably don't believe in or rather it's not that they don't believe in it, but rather they're doing it in such a way that they know that they're appealing to an audience who will give them mammons or whatever. Yeah. Whereas yeah, me, but- like, you, be, you really believe in this stuff. And in a way, yeah, it's kind well, of the opposite of... No, I mean, it's, it's kind of the opposite no, of... No, I don't. It's all a lie. I'm actually no, a liberal. But, no, I'm kidding. You know, the, the more um, <laughs> you want your stuff to get out there, the more you kind of... build, The more of your stuff you put into it, the kind of yeah. more scared you are to actually ask for compensation for it or to exactly. ask Exactly. And that's, exactly. you know, because you're very invested in it. And if people reject it or like if you get like two Substack subscribers, you're like... You know, the core of my oh, being man. has been rejected. <laughs> and, there are, and there are posters who I consider like 10 times better than me and, and uh, people who have like ideas that are interesting, but yet they probably do only get 50 views on YouTube or whatever. Like, or they got uh, 500 followers. Yeah. But like, the thing is, kind yeah. of the, the grift, the promotion, the being out there, the interacting with people is part of the game. Like, for example, you yeah. know, you, there was a whole CA Bond thing and like the fact that he wrote this book. I'm sure the book is good. You know, Imperium Press, you know, a lot of people like the book. Uh, it, it didn't get a lot of traction because it's, it's 
quite quite overwrought. It, he's not very mm-hmm. good at promoting it. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, you were the first, you know, level of, of NRX. Other people are feeding off those ideas. Everyone read Moldbug, you know, after yeah. they read Moldbug, they, they read the Juvenile and they bypassed your book. And now those ideas are in the mainstream. And the only idea, the only way he can imagine that happening is just like some some mysterious cabal of, you know, billionaires pumping money into Zero HP Lovecraft, who is <laughs> one of the, the best writers in existence and yeah. knows how to fucking spin a phrase, you know, better than anyone. It's it's not I Peter Thiel. Like He's not feeding him the lines. There are certain people, there's a certain group of friends that I feel, not the CA Bond, but I feel like, um, again, I don't want to mention his name, uh, that probably felt that way and uh when when bap's star rose well you know i'm sure this happens with, with every yeah. wave of this in some re- well, i know people that have yeah people people have like stole that's the part but when you put yourself out there you have to realize that people are going to steal your ideas it happens all the time of but, course uh, but the thing yeah. is especially with like nrx stuff like i mean yeah. i you know you read the dark enlightenment you read mobuck you read the mobuck reading list i mean what are you gonna do? Like literally, everyone's reading the same books. You know who yeah. who's on first? Moldbug. Plus, you know we're yeah, all in fucking. Some, <laughs> in some ways, there. I mean, NRX is done for, anyways. In some ways, I feel yeah, that, but like it's kind of all the stuff that's been out, spun, spun out of it. You know, it's like yeah, you know, how how no, but exactly? That's the thing. It's like when you have these groups like NRX or the alt right, the movements die, but the ideas they have attraction, they have a sort of anti fragility to them, and they percolate to the mainstream in some like crazy weird ways like could you imagine a blake masters talking about demographic replacement 10 years ago no or like right? uh, technological slavery that was a that was a good one <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, i'm keeping you alex i'm keeping you no worries you no, no no it's just like my my husband he's like you know uh we need to go to bed and i'm like yeah i know <laughs> it's all good yeah because the thing is baby wakes up at 5 30 uh we oh, have boy. to have we have to have yeah. coffee at uh 5 15 just so we can Get ready. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's that's the only you well, we, know, we covered a lot of ground. And I'm happy for that. Yeah. Yeah, we did, and I'm I'm really happy you came back on. You know, I want to do this again and again and again because this is always fun. You're always like a fountain of infinite information, infinite <laughs> uh, you know recommendations, and I'm also a of a lot of other things lore. as well. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> deep deep lore about all sorts of stuff that you know I just wasn't around for, uh, and you know it, and you know you're the best place person to do oh, the thank you. you know the cartography of, of the dissident right and also <laughs> you should be a confident grifter just you know secure the bag you know people will pay for it just go for I it should, and i should open up that ko-fi i know yeah right? like, open yeah. up the ko-fi you know what's what's that called star Subscribe star. Subscribe star. <laughs> when subscribe you're a fan star, of the Patreon, Patreon, subscribe exactly. star. <laughs> subscribe star. Substack it. Push the Substack. You know, just yeah. We'll, I might we'll... paywall some Substack stuff. If I do write a book, I'll probably paywall the chapters, and then when I release the, yeah, exactly. I know my buddy do, Apex does that. Do the early releases. I think that that yeah is a little yeah. bit of an incentive for people to pay for it. You know, it takes takes yeah. a little bit of time for them to come out. Well, I showed anyway. my friend Apex. <laughs> Apex notes on Substack. Shout out to Apex. Shout out especially to Gio, a very special guest, return guest, one of the few, one of the first guests. One of the guests. few, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And um, also go to Gio's Substack. Uh, it is geoscontentcorner.substack.com. Uh, he has a uh, YouTube channel as well. Um, and uh, also the um, Twitter, of yeah. course. Yeah, which and is soon uh, print shop, art seller's website. Exactly. Hopefully. 
exactly. And go so, and, and go and subscribe to Subversive. Alex Kashuda, listen, as an old hat, I as an old hat, Alex Kashuda is not a fed. She's <laughs> not a f- a female fed. She's not the fed that loves you. There was there was a great song by Perfect Circle, the nurse who loved me, the fed who loved me. That could be a great, a great remix. She's not a fed. She's genuine. Oh God, uh, you better not be a fed. I'm gonna have a fucking egg oh, in man. my face. <laughs> that would be really awkward, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't you don't you vouch for me. Don't have to vouch for me. I'll, I'll, we'll see. We'll see. This um, has been high energy. Um, but you have to go to bed, you know. Yeah. The husband yeah. demands it. The husband demands it. I mean, <laughs> how can I be trad? Like just letting my husband just text me, like, what are you doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's it's all chill. Everything's fine. Oh, People God. will go to bed very soon and we shall wake up refreshed <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was it uh thanks again Gio. it's awesome to have you on tip my hat off to you my good friend if you like what you're hearing want to see where i take it and maybe want early access to episodes bonus episodes access to the ama or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general head to my patreon at patreon.com slash ak subversive Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.